0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, our post game podcast. We are. Recapping ECU and Georgia State, wish I could be bringing you guys better news, but it was another really tough game for East Carolina in Atlanta, Georgia. Really a, a result that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. No matter how you viewed this game, I think most people that know college football and realize that Georgia State has built a nice program over these last few years thought it would be a close competitive game that really could go either way, especially with ECU's recent struggles. Well... ECU gets throttled in the first half in virtually every phase of the game. Uh, they do mount a comeback late thanks to some special teams play and some solid defense in the second half, but overall a disappointing 49-29 victory and we're going to recap it all for you right here on the Hoist the Colors post-game podcast. I'm Steven Igo, the host of the show, the publisher of Hoist the Colors. Probably will not be joined by a guest in the next little bit, but looking forward to breaking this thing down as we're going to answer all your questions on the Hoist of Colors message boards. Understandably, we've got a lot of them, and quite frankly, I get it. You know, this is a a frustrating game. If you're an ECU fan, how can it not be? I think most people thought going into the season that this was one of the more winnable games on the schedule. It was the only non-conference game on the schedule as things stand right now because the Marshall game, of course, is looking at being... Rescheduled down the line, but there's no guarantee. And given ECU struggles in the American Athletic Conference, you thought, well, heading into the year, this was the game you had to find a way to win if you want to have, you know, a four or five win season in a nine game schedule. Now, if you lose this game, as ECU did today, it just becomes a, a much, much harder slate in the days to come. We'll talk about, you know, what's ahead for ECU, South Florida, and Navy in the weeks to come, but we got a lot to recap here. And man, just. So many thoughts coming out of this game. There's really a lot to digest. I tried to take my time before jumping on the podcast because I try not to be too reactionary with this stuff. Uh, ECU, of course, you know, I'm I'm an alum of ECU, but I try to look at this as non-biased as possible as a media member, as a professional uh, writer, and so I try to look at both sides of it. And still very hard, you know, for, for ECU supporters to take this game because this is a Georgia State program that, Sean Elliott has done a hell of a job with. Uh, don't get me wrong, but this is a Georgia State program that just started playing football well after the year 2000. And We're talking about an East Carolina program that, sh- you know, historically, obviously not the strongest program in the country, but a very respectable program, a proud program, and to just get outplayed in so many phases is really disheartening if you're an East Carolina person. So I get all the frustration. I understand why people are... Are emotional while they're calling for people's heads, and uh, we'll try to provide some some breakdown on this podcast as best we can to uh, you know not talk you off the ledge too much, of course, so to speak, but uh, just to to provide some accurate perspective and to provide where East Carolina goes from here. So, uh, quick rundown on some notes and on some stats. Uh, Some of this is unbelievable, just as I try to digest it, but total offensive yards. Georgia State outgains ECU 485 to 292. They averaged 6.7 yards per play as opposed to 3.7 yards per play for East Carolina. So, uh, you know, just a, a huge discrepancy there. Obviously, Georgia State had a few explosive plays in the running game. They end up churning out 247 yards rushing 5.6 yards per attempt. ECU with 50 net yards rushing 1.9 yards per attempt and really it wasn't even that good I mean the stat sheet says that but 31 of those 50 yards came on Tyler Snead's fake punt at the uh towards the end of the fourth quarter and then Mason Garcia had a 10-yard run on basically the last play of the game and so that's 41 yards you ran for 50 yards on the other 24 attempts um and if you deduct that then obviously that's only 9 yards. So 9 yards on 24 attempts. Uh, Not going to get it done. Darius Penix with a tough, tough day. Obviously, heart goes out to him after losing his father uh, last weekend. But he finishes with 6 carries for 1 yard. That is 0.2 yards per carry. We saw Rozzy Harris and Keaton Mitchell. uh, Very little involvement. Uh, 5 total carries between the two for a net gain of 1 yard. Mason Garcia, of course, with the one carry for 10 yards. And, um, you know, Chase Hayden probably had the best few runs of the day. He goes seven for 20, 2.9 yards per carry. But just absolutely nothing at all in the running game. And, you, you know, you translate that to the other side or you compare it to the other side. Georgia State, Destin Coates, 23 carries for 113 yards, averages five yards a carry. Terrence Dixon, three carries, 78 yards. Had a, a long of 43. Uh, Cornelius Brown, the quarterback, six carries for 26 yards. So they finished with 247 on the ground. Uh, Holt Naylor throws the ball 50 times for ECU, 29 completions for 242 yards. But he was picked three times, through zero touchdowns, and he was sacked four times. Cornelius Brown for Georgia State goes 18-28, 238 yards, three touchdowns, two picks with a long of 42. Sam Pinckney, the Georgia State receiver, Gave the ECU defense a lot of problems. You know, I was worried about that matchup. He's listed at 6'3", 6'4". Tall wide receiver, and we know ECU's DBs outside of Nolan Johnson at the corner position are really just small. And Jaquan McMillan was in decent position a couple of times, but was just outmanned in terms of size. So Jaquan did bounce back with a pick in the second half, but he got uh, dunked on, so to speak, a few times by Pinckney. Uh, A positive was good to see Tyler Sneed and Blake Pearl get back going. They each finished 11 catches apiece. Uh, Combined, they almost go for 200 yards. Tyler Sneed gets 111 yards, and Blake Pearl gets 83. But uh, still not enough involvement with C.J. Johnson. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was projected to be arguably the top receiver, if not the top, one of the top uh, receivers in the American Athletic Conference this year. And he finishes with one catch for zero yards. And they tried to get the, the ball to him early. They hit him on the screen. He was tackled immediately, and that was it. And they did target him a few more times, I believe three tar- targets in all officially. He drew a few pass interference calls, but um, one catch for zero yards for your star player. And I know we got a bunch of questions on C.J. coming from the fans, and, and I will say he doesn't look like himself But you still, you know, and teams are doubling them. You know, UCF doubled them. Georgia State doubled them. So that has to be a factor. But three catches in two games is just not going to get it done. So that is something to keep an eye on there. Uh, Defensively, again, a rough first half for East Carolina. Uh, After the pick six early early by Warren Saba, uh, props to him for a great read on the blitz. He jumped the route. It was just all downhill from there. I think Georgia State scored four of its next five possessions. They uh, found the end zone for touchdowns to build a 28-7 lead, and really it was over from there. ECU's offense just couldn't do enough to mount a comeback. Uh, Jiber Wilson, a team-high 13 tackles, two tackles for loss, a forced fumble and a pass breakup. I thought he had a solid game. Xavier Smith with eight tackles, uh, including a fumble recovery. He missed some run fits early, but I thought he got better throughout the game. But overall, linebacker play continues to be an issue. Um Elijah Morris, the true freshman defensive tackle, had a solid day with eight stops. So, those are some quick stats for you. And, you know, before I get into my own personal takes for this game, which includes a lot of discussion about the offensive line, which, you know, it's going to be ad nauseum, but I think it is worth hitting on several times. A uh, number of guys were out today uh, Deontay Smith on that offensive line at left tackle. Uh, which was a huge absence because here's a guy who saw his starting streak come to an end. I think he was closing in on, let's see, upwards of 25 consecutive starts or so uh, to lead the team, and he saw that come to an end as he missed the game. Due to medical reasons, he looked like he had concussion-like symptoms at the end of last week. I don't know that for certain, but that's just my speculation. So we'll see how long he's out. Um, But without Deontay and without Noah Henderson at right tackle, we saw just how poor this offensive line is when they don't have really two of their anchors on the offensive line. So uh, we'll get into more of that in a second. Uh, Holton Ayler's and Jaquan McMillan both extended their consecutive start streaks to 14 games. Fernando Fry has also started 10 games in a row uh, for the Pirates. And uh, Blake Pearl's 11 catches were a career high. Warren Saba picked off his first career pass, but it was his second career touchdown as he also recovered last year's punt for six at Old Dominion. Uh, Jaira Wilson's 13 tackles were a career high. Jake Verity, with today's performance, moved into second place on ECU's all-time scoring list with his 40-yard field goal at the end of the second quarter. He is only six shy of the school record for points in ECU football history. Uh, some post-game team notes provided by ECU Athletics. With this loss, the Pirates have now dropped seven straight road openers. Their last win was at North Carolina on September 28, 2013, in their road opener where they won 55-31. to And ECU's defense, despite not forcing a turnover last week against UCF, the Pirates have now forced at least one turnover in 12 of the last 13 with three takeaways on the day. And, of course, two special teams touchdowns, one defensive touchdown with the pick six, but just not enough offense, not enough offense. If you would have told me going into this game that ECU's offense wouldn't have scored a touchdown, I just simply wouldn't have believed you. I just – I know Georgia State's got a solid defense. I know that they've got some experienced players in the front four, but to not score a touchdown – Especially when your defense forces three turnovers. Just extremely, extremely disappointing. And unfortunately, I think a lot of that goes back to the offensive line. I just think it is a, it was just a very poor day for EC's offensive line. There's no way around it. You know, we hit on the four sacks. I don't have the numbers yet, but I mean, there had to have been at least 15 to 20 hits on the quarterback. Holton Nailers was running for his life all day. And, of course, he didn't make the best decisions, which we'll get into in a minute, but just a really tough situation when you can't run block, you can't pass block. I thought it was a step back from last week. I was surprised. I thought they did pretty well run blocking against UCF's front. And, of course, they struggled in pass protection, but I did think that they would learn from game one and improve to game two, but that just didn't happen. And, of course, we do have to keep in mind there is no Deontay Smith. He's your anchor at left tackle. He's your leader. And to not have him there, that really does hurt. There's no Noah Henderson at right tackle. He's a guy that started the last four games of last year. We all know how well ECU's offense played down the stretch last season. So that can't be overlooked because in their place, you're starting Bailey Malovic, who's a 257-pound offensive tackle, and Nashad Strother, who you know, has done pretty well at left tackle but probably is more of a guard in all honesty. He struggled a little bit today. With uh, some of the speed Georgia State presented off the edge. So I do think those two guys being out has a massive ripple effect on your offensive line. But overall, I mean, you're looking at, you still got some fifth year seniors in there. You know, you have Fernando Fry, you have Sean Bailey, you've got Justin Chase, who, yeah, hasn't played a whole lot, but he came from NC State where he was working out. He reported in pretty good shape, even with the quarantine situation. Ah, uh, you've got Avery Jones, who was a former four-star recruit coming out of high school, and granted, he hasn't played a lot either. But just the overall performance of that group uh, today was just—it was tough to watch. And I try—I don't want to, you know, rag on college student athletes because I really do believe they're giving their all to East Carolina University. But but you just can't win college football games, and you can't operate an offense when you cannot hold up and pass protection, when you cannot get any push, any push running the football against a Sun Belt team, no matter how experienced they are, uh, that's just a huge red flag. A huge red flag for the future of this team this season because you can't have a quick fix on the offensive line. You know, you can change some protections. You can do some different things schematically, but you can only cover up a weak offensive line so much. And perhaps it'll change. Perhaps it will change once Deontay gets back in healthy, once Noah Henderson gets back. I don't know how long those two guys are out. Uh, maybe it'll change once Nashad Strother gets more snaps. Maybe it'll change once they start working in some of these other guys in, in the same spots more consistently rather than shuffling so much. But it is a big concern, and that's the main takeaway I have from today's game. If you can't block Georgia State – I don't know how you can block other teams in the American athletic conference. And, you know, I I feel for the coaching staff because they're going to have to try and scheme around this. And that's just not easy. It's really not. And, you know, we did see at the end of last year, they went to more max protect, more quick more quick passes. When they didn't go max protect, they spread it out four and five wide to spread out the defense and try and cancel out the blitzing. But, um, and that's something we saw at the end of today's game, but you can't, Survive doing that sixty to sixty-five times a game, more time than not. So, uh, and we know Coach Houston the way he likes to coach. You know, I just don't see you doing that for a full game, and maybe they'll have to. Maybe that's the only way they can win football games right now. But they've got to figure out something. They've got to go back to the drawing board and really think about what they're doing offensively, because the you know the three yards in a cloud of dust, or you know let's run the ball to set the tone on first and ten, or third and short let's run the ball even though they stack the box it's clearly not working the the personnel is not there so a change has to be made so in terms of philosophy at least in the short term and we'll see what that change is we'll see if it's made uh, as ECU goes to South Florida next week you can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7 the UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Alright, let's get into some of you guys' questions. We got a whole lot of them flowing in on the Hoist of Colors message board following this one. Uh, Pirate Marv asks, "How is the basketball team looking in practice?" Uh, I believe <laughs> I believe this is a little tongue in cheek, but you know, last I've heard, uh, the Pirates are looking pretty good. Uh, they still are being a little cautious with the COVID deal. They don't want another outbreak to where they have to shut everything down. But uh, they're looking very good in workouts. It'll be mid October before they can start actually fully practicing, but they're doing some team on team stuff now. They're allowed uh, further Uh, hours with the workouts as things are going now. I've heard very good things uh, about some of the the newcomers. Of course, uh, Noah Farrakhan, uh, the highly talented point guard out of the Northeast. You know, I think he's got to get stronger. He's got to develop some maturity. But in terms of pure athleticism and upside, ECU did hit a home run there. He is very talented, and I think he's got a chance to be very special. Now, he's got to continue to grow mentally, but I I like his upside. And I think guys like J.J. Miles, Batama Baruti, some of those other second-year guys, Brandon Suggs, all those guys have improved. They've added weight. They've gotten stronger. Of course, Batomo was already pretty strong, but uh, JJ has been in the program now a full a full year because he didn't get until really this time last year. Um, so it's it's you know I think you're going to see some growth from the Pirate basketball team. But just like with football, very weird off season, and it, it's going to take some time to see how much they can really grow in an offseason that's not ideal and you know we'll find that out more as practice arrives we'll have more uh coverage on that as we get closer all right pirate marv also asked why don't they target shane calhoun more on offense he's talking about the true freshman tight end from florida um you know i I think the tight ends being targeted more on offense would be nice Uh, you know some of that is you've got to Unfortunately, keep those guys in the block a decent amount because if you don't, then we see how quickly the pass rush can break down. You know, something I've noticed is Shane Calhoun at this point in his career, just looking at some of the, the film from the first two games, really looks like a better run blocker and a better receiver than a pass blocker right now. So uh, that's something he's got to continue to work on if he wants to get more game action. Of course, he's already experienced a lot of snaps as a first year player, more than you would really want. A first year player to experience but I like what I'm seeing out of Calhoun he looks athletic he looks quick when he caught that ball today he was able to turn up field and get some yardage so really good athlete uh I do think they should target him more but again it's hard to really target anybody right now when you can't protect um most of the passes today were pretty short to Blake Pro and to Tyler Snead because Holton Naylor's had to get rid of the football so quickly the one pass to Calhoun was a play where he, he was able to get some time in the pocket, and Calhoun came uh, open against, uh, against the zone defense as he kind of found a hole underneath. So, again, you've got to have more time, and then maybe we'll see more throws like that. Oasis Pirate asked, Are you concerned that there is no help, no hope in the pipeline for the offensive line? There are reasons for optimism on the D, but the offensive line not so much. You know, I won't say that there's no hope. You know, you look at the three freshmen that ECU brought in in this past class, and I've heard very good things about Isaiah Foote, uh, Jaquez Powell, and also uh, Walt Stribling. So I think all three of those guys can be uh, effective players. Now, not today, not tomorrow, so not short-term hope, long-term hope. Yes, I think if you get those guys a full year in the system – A full year with John Williams, you'll see some major growth, and I think by their redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore year, they'll be able to help, kind of like a Nashad Strother. And I think Nashad Strother's a guy that you should be optimistic about. Yeah, he's getting overmatched at times right now, but he's a redshirt freshman, and he's a guy that can play multiple positions. I think he can be a talented player. Trent Holler got some snaps today, and honestly, I thought he looked uh, just as effective as a fifth-year senior at times, so... Those are five guys who are redshirt freshmen or younger that could be pieces on the offensive line. Avery Jones is a sophomore uh, playing the first snaps of his career. So, you know, who knows what will happen with Deontay Smith, Fernando Fry. Some of these guys, you know, will they elect to come back? They have another year of eligibility now. So I don't think that there is no hope for the future of the offensive line, like some make it out to be. I think the bigger concern is, with all this COVID stuff, are they actually going to get a full offseason to develop? You basically got no opportunity to develop guys this year, and that that hurts no position more than the offensive line and the defensive line. If you can't have a guy working out daily, eating properly, around daily, that just that kills your development, and ECU was in such bad shape along the offensive line last year that really the COVID crisis uh, and its arrival hurt no position more than the O-line. Not to mention that that position group was also crushed in terms of the guys that either got it or quarantined from it. So I think, you know, as hard as I have been on the offensive line, I don't want to say you give them a pass, but you do have to take into account that these guys, have they've been unable to work out due to quarantine issues and they've been unable to work out just in terms of they weren't allowed to be around the program due to everybody going home this summer. So I think it's tough to say, but you really almost have to wait till next year with a lot of these offensive linemen to make a fair evaluation on them, and they're kind of doing their best with everything they can right now. So I just don't see a short-term solution. Long-term, I could see a number of these guys develop, developing, especially that freshman class in the redshirt freshman All right, our next question comes from Buck Nasty. He asks, uh, or he's got a bit of a statement here, which uh, I guess the old adage, teams improve the most. From week one to week two does not apply to ECU. It's pretty easy to see we've regressed. Are there any locker room issues? I noticed the O-line didn't bother picking up Holton several times after he got knocked down. What's the deal with CJ? Uh, First off, um, yeah, I mean, we really didn't see much progression in terms of week one to week two, so that is a, an accurate statement for this season. Uh, re- locker room issues, I have not heard of any, to be quite honest, and in the past usually that stuff leaks out whether the coaching staff wants it to or not, so I think the locker room is fine. Uh, I wouldn't look too much into the O-line, didn't bother picking up Holton several times after he got knocked down. Holton, you know, you know I noticed multiple times they did help pick him up, I also noticed multiple times the offensive linemen were picking themselves up off the ground. So, I don't know if that was the issue or not, but I wouldn't read too much into that. Um, You know, Holton, you know, as much as people blame him and put the blame on him, etc., and criticize him, as natural as that is, as he's a quarterback, he does step up basically after every loss and put the blame square on his shoulders. He says, it starts with me, I have to be better. And I think he said that after today's game as well. And he was very upset and almost I thought he was was close to breaking down at times because you could tell how much work he's put into this thing, how much ECU means to him. And I honestly just feel terrible for the kid. And certainly there are things he can do as a quarterback better to help the team, but the team can also help him. So I, I just don't see there being any locker room issues there. Uh, as far as the deal with CJ, you know, CJ, I've said this on the board multiple times, C.J. Johnson is the most talented kid on the roster. But I don't know if it's entitlement, maturity, or what, but he's got to continue to come along in that aspect of things. There are times that opponents know that he's rattled pretty easily mentally, and that's probably in the scouting report at this point. Uh, They try to talk junk to him. They try to be physical with him. And at times it can take him out of the game. And I think until he's able to get over that mentally – until he's able to stay in a game mentally and mature, I think you're going to continue to see him be inconsistent. As talented as he is, he's got to be inconsistent. And I think he came to camp a little overweight. I mean, he was listed at, what, 236 pounds? And that was after we heard he got down to 220 going in the spring ball. So you're talking about a guy who came in sluggish, a little overweight for the receiver position. I mean, honestly, 220 is probably the biggest you want to be as a as a college outside receiver and I think he has trouble getting separation at times because he's a little too big. and He just looks sluggish right now. He looks a little out of it mentally, and I think he's just got to continue to mature is what I would say based on what I've heard. Again, super talented kid, uh, but you got to push him to continue to get better, and we heard a lot of talk about the coaching staff trying to avoid the sophomore slump with CJ. I think a lot of that was uh, the maturity side of things. He's got to continue to push himself. To be the best player he can be, as cliche as that is, you can be as talented as you want to be, or t- as talented as can be. And if you can't push yourself mentally and physically, you're not going to live up to your expectations. I think that's what we're seeing with CJ now. Plus the fact that teams, as good as he as good as he is, teams are deliberately taking him out of the game with coverage, along with the stuff we just talked about. Uh, and I think that's it's just a combination of everything in terms of CJ with the liker production thus far. All right, uh, GA196Cav asked, what's the mental state of this team? Heck, is it a team? A lot of talent talk, but they don't seem to work together well, especially on offense. Uh, you know, I think a lot can be made of the mental state stuff after losses. They just got outplayed. They got outwhip, or they got whipped today. I don't think there's anything wrong with the team getting along together, the locker room stuff I just talked about, I don't think that's an issue. I think the, the issue mentally is, you know, this is a losing culture. I don't want to say it's a toxic culture, but this is a team that every player on the roster has experienced losing at East Carolina. Uh, the guys who have been here have never had a winning season. So when things go wrong, you can see the life leave the sideline pretty easy. And I'm not down there on the field, but I I bet in a number of players you can see the belief really leave their eyes because they they think to themselves, hey, here we go again. We're not going to get the stops we need. We're not going to get the play offensively that we need. We've lost this game before. We'll lose it again. That is a real thing. The mental block of trying to overcome those past struggles I think is the biggest issue. You know We talk so much about talent and all that sort of stuff, but I do think there is a legitimate issue. Until they win a, a clutch game over a good team, you're, you're going to continue to see this where things spiral and snowball quickly like we saw today. We saw the good play early. Georgia State answers right back. There's a three and out. Georgia State scores again. Another three and out. Score again. Uh, offense fails to do anything. I, I do think the defense got to stop somewhere in there, but again, The game just gets out of hand so quickly in these situations. It's it's something they have to overcome. Like Holt Naylor said after the game, they have to get that losing mindset out of them. And until then, I think we're going to continue to see these issues and to see these types of games. Pirate Coasty asked, will we win a game since UConn is not playing this year? Well, I think ECU, as much as Jerry Palm wants it to happen, I don't think ECU will go winless. Uh, I think they are too talented offensively at the skill positions to go winless. Now, if they lose to South Florida, I'll be a little concerned, but I think there's enough games on the schedule that are winnable that they'll beat somebody they shouldn't at some point. I just have a hard time believing they'll go 0-9. I mean, you got South Florida, which still doesn't have a quarterback. I think they played three, uh, against Cincinnati today and threw a combined five interceptions. You've also got Tulane at home, I think is a winnable game, um, and there's a couple others as well. But I tell you what, it doesn't look great. I mean, if you look at the schedule, you got a lot of issues to fix in a short amount of time. So we'll see. But I don't think they go win this. I think this this team will figure it out and improve throughout the season, although today was definitely a, a big red flag. Pirate Coastie also asked, do you believe it's time for Mason Garcia to get some snaps? Obviously, the offense needs a spark. Uh, maybe they can put Mason Garcia – along the offensive line. I mean, he is only like 20 pounds lighter than a few of the offensive tackles, so um, that would help. But, no, seriously, uh, Mason, you know, some snaps, you know, maybe you give him a a drive or two like we saw today. I think if games continue to get out of hand, it it, it is something that needs to happen. To me, there's no real sense in Holton staying in there, getting beat up, and, you know, continue to lose confidence. So, uh, look – but if, if Holt Aylers if this offensive line doesn't get any better, if they can't protect him, Mason Garcia will not succeed. And the last thing you want to do is put a true freshman out there in a situation he can't succeed in when he's still learning the offense and he has a terrible experience and then he loses all his confidence. I mean, so it, it it's not as as cut and dry as it seems. Yes, Mason Garcia would provide a spark. He's a tremendous athlete. Uh, he's got a better arm than, than Holt Naylor's. Uh, he could probably fit the, the ball into some tight windows. But if your offensive line can't protect, I just don't think it's a, a winning combination right now. I think I think Mason Garcia will be the guy in time. I do. But right now, it's just it's not a recipe for success to put him in that situation unless they're really going to dumb down the offense for a true freshman. And maybe if you get Deontay Smith and Noah Henderson back and your offensive tackles can protect a little better and your offensive line starts to gel and then if Holton's continuing to struggle then maybe I could see it but right now I just don't think it's going to do anybody any good to pull Holton Aylers an experienced junior for a true freshman who really at this point doesn't have a huge understanding of the offense and would be really truly thrown into the fire so uh, time for Mason Garcia to get some snaps probably not in terms of Hey, let's win the game, snaps. But uh, snaps in terms of experience at the end of games. If we keep seeing scores like this, then sure, I do agree with that. I would I would have liked to seen him get some snaps earlier in the fourth quarter uh, with the way the offense was playing today. Atlanta Pirate asks any way to add someone that's not in the Greenville RDU bubble that will actually ask Coach Houston legitimate questions about the game plan today. And what actually is the offensive strategy is besides trying to put the ball in the end zone, and what his plan is going forward? We just lost to Georgia State. Just want to make sure somebody asked him other, asked him something other than how he feels or what progress looks like. Well, you know, we get this a lot when the team plays bad. Fans want the media to quote unquote hold the coaches accountable. Uh, That's just not how it works. I mean, we're in a professional setting. We can't demand answers. Uh, if you do, it's just, it's it's not good practice. You're going to lose the respect of coaches. I can't hold a gun to Mike Houston's head and demand that he changes the offense based on how they play today. I mean, I asked them multiple questions about how the offensive line performed today, uh, the the offensive struggles as a whole, uh, just some, and I asked Holton, you know, what went wrong, et cetera. I mean, there's certain ways to carry yourself and ask questions if you're a professional reporter. Uh, if you want to be a jackass and ask stupid questions, and you want to get that reputation where all the coaches hate you, then good luck trying to get any information. That's just not the way to go about it. Um, Coach Houston's pretty straightforward. He's pretty frank. If a position unit plays bad, you know he'll talk about it. Um, so I, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't think it's necessary. I mean, to me the way I ask coach Houston a question or the way another reporter asks coach Houston a question is not going to affect the outcome of anything. Um, you know, maybe it gives somebody a cool soundbite, et cetera. But to me, it all comes down to, it's how you play on the field. That, that's the only thing people remember. Once the ball is kicked off, how does it look on the field? At the end of the day, talk is pretty cheap. The sound bites are cool leading up to the game, but then it comes down to how do you perform, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, I think that stuff is kind of overblown. Uh, but, again, I'm a reporter. That's how I see it as a fan. I get the frustration. I feel the same way when the Denver Broncos lose close games or, or play like that. I get it. So, uh, But that's just my point of view as a, as a reporter. All right, on to the next question. Uh, ECU set a rip, asked, uh, running backs combined for 22 yards on 18 carries. At what point? Do you abandon the run, in all caps, with exclamation point? Um, well, we did see ECU basically abandon the run, I think, late, late third quarter, like two minutes to go. They went five wide on that one drive. I don't remember the exact time stamp on it, but that's when they effectively abandoned the run, it seemed like, um, although they did still run the ball on fourth and short on that one series. So, uh, I don't. I, that may have been before that. I don't know. To get Honestly, I tried to forget the second half. I try to forget this game as, as quickly as possible. But uh, I think, you know, to answer your question honestly and candidly, I mean, to me, I would have abandoned the run pretty early in the first half. I mean, I know that you have to keep ba- – try to stay balanced, et cetera. But to me, it was clear that the running game, especially with Penix up the middle, was not working. Uh, they wanted to establish some sort of physicality and Georgia State had an answer for it even when they weren't loading the box there was very little push maybe two to three yards max Uh, and when they did try chase Hayden I thought they got a little bit of a spark and I would have liked to have seen maybe a little bit more Keaton Mitchell on the edges because it seemed like Georgia State was really doing a good job between the tackles doing whatever they wanted defensively Uh, but you know the the most disappointing thing for me and this kind of goes away from your questions but they they tried you know really the running game the little outside screens are an extension of the running game and I say you know they should have done more perimeter running but they couldn't even block that I mean that was one of the more disturbing things I saw from this game is they tried those little outside sweeps or screen passes to receivers or running backs and man they just could not hold up at the point of contact on those outside blocks or outside runs or long screens and and those were going for no gain or lost yardage or one or two yards. And then you look at Georgia State, which was doing the same exact thing schematically against ECU, and they were blocking it up and getting eight, you know, eight to ten yards of play. And that just kind of shows the physicality difference, uh, the talent difference on the edges right now, the size differential. So that was very discouraging to see. Uh, but at what point do you abandon the run? I do think, you know, going five wide a little earlier. Would have made a difference or just spreading it out and trying to find more passing lanes for Holton so he could do less thinking. And you you know, when you get a blitz against four and five wide, it's easier to get the ball out quicker because there are more passing lanes, more options, and usually you got less guys covering them. And it's harder to blitz that way. But then again, you're leaving your offensive line out the dry, And if you drop back 60 times a game and five wide, well, your quarterback with the way offensive uh, with the way ECU's offensive line is blocking you're probably not going to last too long as ECU's quarterback. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to everything. Uh, you know, I'm not a coach, but obviously the ECU coaches have to figure something out. Uh, Bluewater Pirate asks, when do we start re- remodeling the Southside Tower skyboxes into pre- premium student housing? Uh, good tongue and tweak question, but uh, obviously – Need to start winning some football games to get some people there, and it would help if ECU could get fans in the stadium at all. Well, more than 3,500. We'll continue to keep an eye on that as, you know, state officials make decisions that are out of our control. ECU Pirate 1988 asked if the O-line widened their splits. Similar to what Mike Leach is doing at Mississippi State, would that help the pass blocking? Uh, Well, you know, the, the air raid... Offensive line blocking technique. I mean, that is such a different, uh, completely different thing that ECU is doing right now. That The last thing I would recommend is changing the O-line scheme yet again. And uh, really, ECU has not recruited for that style of play. I, I really don't know what Scotty Montgomery recruited for looking back at it. I mean, some of these things just make no sense in terms of some of the, the guys and development that they did over the years. But, you know, I do think Shank's the right guy. I think it's important to remember this is the first year ECU's offensive line has had the same position coach in multiple years. And it's just been a revolving door. I think you need consistency there for a three- to four-year period before you can really make a fair evaluation of the offensive line. Uh, Strahl369, speaking of the offensive line, asks, is Noah Henderson being out and not having Cortez Heron being kicked off that big of an issue? Uh, I say yes. ECU's offensive tackle depth was a major concern of mine coming into the year. You lose Noah Henderson, who's your biggest offensive tackle. You lose Deontay Smith, who's your most experienced and talented offensive tackle. And then you lose Cortez Heron, who was a three-year starter at guard. And I think with all three of those guys out, you have significant downgrades right now along the offensive line. I think we're seeing that. Uh, Pirate for sure asks, why did they wait so long before opening up the offense at the end of the third quarter? Nothing really was working offensively until the change. By that time, Holton had been abused and bruised. Um, yeah, I mean uh, we kind of hit on that just a minute ago, but I agree. I think they should have opened it up earlier. Hindsight is twenty twenty in the year twenty twenty. Um, but again, if you go five wide, you know Georgia State was starting to pick up on some tendencies after a while. But that, and they were getting to the quarterback after a few series of five five wide and opening up, but. It's it's tough, it, you know. They're just in such a tough position when you don't have uh, an offensive front that's consistent right now, uh, for all the reasons we've just mentioned. And speaking of the offensive line, we have another question from Purple Hook. What do you do to salvage the season when your O line is arguably the worst in D1 football? What schematically do you do? I'll tell you what. Something I would like to see more of in the run game is uh, Holton Naylor's running the football more. I mean, we've talked about these struggles. Of the offensive line, we've talked about the struggles of Holton Avers getting beat, beat up in the passing game. I mean, he's getting more beat up as a passer right now than he would be as a runner, uh, because they're they're just allowing so much pressure. And of course, when you are able to use the quarterback run game more, you not only keep the defense honest, but if you use let's say a quarterback power where you have the running back as a lead blocker, you get an extra blocker. You know, when your offensive line is struggling. If you can use your running back as a blocker, that helps you get an extra hat against their hats in the box, and I think that can open up some more running lanes. And that's just something we have not seen a lot out of. I know they want to make Holton Ayler's more of a pocket passer rather than an athlete, but he, you know, he, he excels on running the football, specifically on in a power type setting. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's a big dude, and you know, I, we just haven't seen pretty much any zone read. And if we have, Holton hasn't kept it. Uh, He he looks like he's just handing it off, not really reading that defensive end. We've seen a few quarterback draws, but, you know, the zone read game has just seemingly disappeared from ECU's offense. And I don't really understand that because I feel like that keeps the defense so much more honest. You know, we've seen a lot of RPO in terms of Holton can either hand it to the back or throw it, but we've seen very little zone read. And if it's there and Holton's just not doing it, then I would recommend Holton pull it more. Uh, if it's not being called, then I, I don't really understand why you're not using your, you know, your your mobile quarterbacks' legs to help you out in the running game when it's clear against a good defensive line you're not going to be able to do uh, some of the things that that ECU wants to do offensively. All right, a few more questions here. We got a lot of talk about ECU going back to the air raid, etc. Uh, we'll have that conversation another day. Buck Wild Seventeen asked when are Noah Henderson and Deontay Smith back? I uh, don't know. Uh, we, we just don't know. We don't get a lot of injury updates right now. That's just how college football is. Uh, hopefully soon. If Deontay Smith's a concussion situation, hopefully he'll be back in the next week. Uh, I don't know what Noah Henderson's dealing with exactly. Uh, he also asked uh, how many total offensive linemen does ECU have. Uh, I think it's close to uh, like 15 or so scholarship guys. Maybe not quite that many. But usually that's the number you want to have, or if not a few more, you know they're they're improving on the numbers, but probably still not to the extent that you want to be, and just not enough veteran guys that have been. I mean they they've been hit with a lot of attrition over the years at that position. We've talked about the offensive line coaching change, all that sort of stuff. So the numbers are improving, but you still have a number of guys who just aren't really ready right now. You know I think a Hampton Urkel who's a former walk on who's a redshirt freshman right now, I think in a year or two, he's a guy who can help you out at tackle or guard. Um, you know, Walt Stribling, same way. You know, we talked about Isaiah Foote and Quest Powell, but those guys just aren't ready right now. So you have, you know, probably four or five guys, Trent Holler inside, probably a year away from being a starter. So you got four or five, six guys that in the future are starting caliber players maybe on this offensive line but just aren't ready right now. Uh, so that's why it maybe seems like you don't have as many offensive line as you do. Uh, I would like to see ECU kind of pull the same approach with the offensive line as they did with the defensive line. Take as many guys as you can, quality offensive linemen, quality big bodies, and, you know, let's say you take six offensive linemen in a class. Hope three to four of them work out, and, you know, in a couple years, all of a sudden you've got that position stockpiled. We've seen it on the defensive line. I like the the future of that position. I wouldn't mind the same approach to some extent on the O-line as well. I'm just not huge on the Juco thing. Uh, we've just seen so many JUCO offensive linemen come in here and just not not live up to expectations. Um, and I, I think unless you get an elite one, you're you're better off taking a high school kid and developing him. Uh, Buck Wild Seventeen asks, is C.J. Johnson out of shape. Uh, we hit on that earlier. It's uh, it's one of those situations where he did report overweight after the COVID situation or COVID quarantine. In terms of he was listed at 235, 236. So he's a guy that probably needs to be around 220. I don't know what he is now. Those weights were taken in July. He also had a a situation with the virus he had to deal with, according to my sources. So I think all that, along with some of the the teams that he's playing, taking him out of the game in terms of double coverage, has added up to what we're seeing now. Uh, Buck Wild 17 asked what does big john think about the conditioning of the team after two straight weeks of getting run off the field uh i don't know i'm sure he's not pleased i'm sure they're going to be running and lifting a lot this week like they do every week he, he seemed to be trying to motivate guys on the sideline but you know honestly tough to indict big john or anybody really from a conditioning standpoint when they had such little time to develop these guys over uh over the off season all right, Tick ninety nine asks, "Is it scary how far we have to go on the offensive line? How is the O line any better next year? Of course, Henderson and Smith are out. I don't see them being that much better for a long time. It is shocking how poorly that position has been recruited the past five years. A lot of O line talk already. Again, I think yes, the position can get better because you'll have a full off season of training. Knock on wood. Um, and you also, let's say you get Noah Henderson back. He's a sophomore. Trent Holler is a freshman." You know, Nashad Strother, shirt freshman. You know, the three freshmen we've been talking about. Stripling Powell and Foot. Uh you, You've also, you know, who knows, Deontay Smith might decide to come back for another year. Uh, not sure what Fernando Fry or Sean Bailey or any of those other guys are going to do. But uh, I do think the offensive line can get better if they can get a full offseason with John Williams, with offensive line coach Steve Shankwaller. And, uh, you know, hopefully this this COVID stuff goes away so you don't have to keep a guy out for 14 days when he should be getting reps. Maybe Bailey Malavic can go from 257 to 285 if he gets a full offseason. And with his athleticism, he could be a really good tackle if he gets there. Uh, but, you know, I do think there's some hope there. But just right now in the short term in terms of this year, I don't see that hope because you can only do so much in a few months. All right, uh, last question coming in. On our post-game podcast from the fans, Berg Pirate asks, is there anything on offense that has you optimistic uh, for the future? Yes, I have multiple things on offense that has me optimistic for the future. One, looking back at how they played the second half of last season, I I still think that's a viable possibility. I think they've got to rework some things offensively with how they're doing it uh, from a philosophy standpoint. You know, if that means giving up the run a little bit earlier in games when they don't want to, when it's clear it's not working, then so be it. They're going to have to make some sort of adjustment because you just got pounded by a Sunbelt team that, yes, is experienced, but, you know, every team in the American is going to be that talented, if not more talented. So there has to be some sort of adjustment made there. Now, going back to your original question, I still love the running backs. You know, the running back room as a whole, I think those guys are going to be Ah, uh, very good. I think Raji Harris and Keaton Mitchell have a chance to be special if they can get somewhere to run. Uh, I do think that Holton Ayler's is a much better quarterback than he's shown. I think Mason Garcia is the future at the position and has a legit NFL upside in terms of if he if he puts everything together. Um, you know, I really like the receiver position for obvious reasons. Tyler Snead is here as a sophomore for multiple years. Blake Pro. C.J. Johnson, I think, will eventually get back on track. I like Shane Calhoun. I like Jeremy Lewis. I like some of the young offensive linemen. So uh, I like a ton about the offense. I just think that there there has to be some changes made in terms of philosophy in the short term. And in long term, you've got to get that offensive line fixed. You've got to prioritize this offseason. Whatever it takes to put weight on some of these guys, whatever it takes to get some of these guys stronger, it has to be done. And hopefully, of course, the COVID situation goes away and they can actually do that stuff with the kids on campus and that would make it much easier. But they have got to develop the guys in the program uh, as quickly as possible and grow them up quickly along with the defensive linemen, but especially that offensive line. Otherwise, you just can't have an offense like ECU wants to if you can't develop the offensive line. So that's you know kind of a long answer there, but that that's my answer for uh, offensive optimism in terms of the long term. All right, that will do it for our show on uh, our post game podcast. Again, wish you, I wish we could be bringing you guys better news. I mean, really, if you're an ECU fan, disheartening result today, I know for sure. I'm sure it's even more disheartening for the coaches and players who, you know, pour their heart and soul into this thing. And I, I really do feel for them. Um, you know, it is a results oriented business. I continue to say this year is more about development, given everything going on, than true results, but. You know, you still want to win games and you want to beat teams that, uh, you know, if you're an American Athletic Conference team, a team in the Sun Belt that you feel like you should beat or feel like you should be above, you expect better results. But this is where ECU is right now. Uh, I continue to urge people remain patient, stay behind this coaching staff. I think Mike Houston is the guy for the job. I think he's got the right staff in place. I do think they need to make some adjustments, some necessary changes, but uh, overall, you know, th- this is still an extremely young football team. I saw some some bright spots defensively today in the second half. Uh, it was cool to see some special team scores as well. So, you know, maybe if they can get the offense fixed, similar to the second half of last season, maybe they can turn this season around. There's still time. Yes, I get it. Maybe I'm being a an optimistic person, but, uh, you know, the staff has shown the willingness to make adjustments before. I saw some talk that maybe, they won't make any adjustments, but they made them last year, and I expect them to make it. And we saw Mike Houston make a defensive coordinator change after year one, so I mean it's not like this this coaching staff is is not going to change things when they're not working. So I expect the adjustments to come starting as soon as next week. South Florida uh, on paper is a winnable game. Uh, of course, ECU has to play a lot better to have a shot. If they play they did today, they will not win the football game no matter how bad south florida is uh, they lost today to cincinnati they continue to struggle offensively so that could be a game offensively where the first team to 20 wins uh, unless there are some major improvements made on the offensive side of the ball for both teams uh, but that'll do it for our podcast hope you guys enjoyed the ride wish we could have been discussing a win i really do and hopefully we can do that soon otherwise Uh, We'll continue to answer your questions, as always, on Hoist the Colors. We'll have a ton of content leading up to the South Florida game. Who knows? We might even have another podcast between now and our USF game preview. But uh, looking forward to the week ahead and bringing you another solid week of ECU football coverage and recruiting coverage on Hoist the Colors. Thanks for listening. I'm Stephen Igo. We'll see you next time.